Back when my daughters were little babies, uh, toddlers, we would often hear a cry in the night. And if they were yelling for their mother, that meant they were not feeling very well. But if they yelled for me, that was usually because they were scared. So I would hear my name called out, and I would stumble into the room, and, and then they would say, Daddy, I'm scared. And sometimes it was a bad dream. Sometimes it was just they thought they saw something moving. And most of the time, it was just the fact that they were afraid of the darkness. So I would either dig out a night light and plug that in, or, or maybe I would go out and turn the hall light on for a little while and just stay there with my daughter until she fell asleep. I would give her a kiss and go back to bed. Darkness is defined as the absence of light. And it's not so much something you see as it is something you don't see. When there's no light, you have darkness. And when it's really dark, when it's so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face, it almost feels as if the darkness is enclosing us. It's something that we can feel. And the word darkness is used over 200 times in the Bible. And it's often used as a metaphor in, to describe what life is like without God. So when you live without his love, when you refuse to follow his direction, when you choose your foolishness over his wisdom, then you find yourself in this dark place. But here's what I want you to understand. The world is dark. And we're unable to save ourselves, unable to find our way out of this darkness on our own. And until you grasp the extent of the darkness in this world, you won't truly be able to celebrate the light of Christmas. So I want to talk about the darkness. And I recognize that's not a very encouraging subject during the Christmas season. But we need to understand this part in order to really be able to experience the joy of the light that is talking talked about as well. Now, to a certain extent, we've kind of adjusted to the darkness around us. You're reading a news report, and there's been another murder within someone involved in the drug trade here in the city, and you just continue drinking your coffee. Or maybe you've a co-worker has been arrested for domestic violence, or a teenager has committed suicide, or you're on the 102 and there's been a fatal car accident and the traffic is all backed up and your big concern is that you're late for your appointment. The reason we don't always notice the darkness, and this is hard for us to admit, is because we're part of the darkness. And did I really say that to my spouse? Did my eyes really watch that? Did I really let my mind think that? Did I really cheat on that exam? Did last night really happen? Where did that come from? Are you ever caught off guard by the darkness within you? We may not be a child, but we are afraid of the darkness. So you're in bed next to your spouse, 
and you've gotten into a fight over something, kind of trivial really, but you both have your backs to one another and you're tugging at the sheets and you're thinking, you know, I'll show them. I wasn't going to say her, then you'll start thinking it's my wife and I that I'm talking about. But I'll show them tomorrow it's going to be the silent treatment. Now, you could turn over and you could touch your spouse gently on the back and say to your husband or wife, I'm sorry, I love you, we'll get this straightened out tomorrow. But what do you choose? You choose darkness. You're driving on the 102, and you're a few kilometers back from that construction zone at exit 4C, where they're building the new exit ramp to go over to Burnside. And so people are having to merge from the left lane into the right lane that you're in. And you know how some people are really annoying on that, because most people will just immediately merge in. But then there are others that think, I'm going to go right to the end of that merge and get in, so I'll pass all these other cars. So you're right at the end, and this guy has his signal light on, and he's trying to get there in front of you. Now, you could just say, Please, sir, go ahead of me. But instead, you park your vehicle five centimeters away from the bumper in front of you, and you're not letting him in. And then you get frustrated when the car behind you lets the guy in. See, there are a few things that you need to understand about darkness. One is that darkness has always been there. It's been inside of you. When you had children, you know that. And when you were a child yourself, when you lied to your parents about who broke that lamp, you know that it's there. And any parent of a two-year-old, they know that the darkness has always been there because you don't teach a child to say no or to stick out their tongue or to throw a temper tantrum. And then the second thing is darkness is naturally progressive. It will grow and grow and eventually overtake the light. So when Jesus was crucified, uh, we, and he was arrested to be crucified, we read this in Luke 22. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. And when darkness reigns, human beings are capable of unbelievable evil. Some of you have lost your way in the darkness. You thought you could control the darkness, but certain areas of your life, you've discovered that the darkness will always take you further than you ever intended to go. It begins with yelling at your kids, and then before you know it, you're hitting your kids. Or it takes from a few drinks with friends on a social occasion to where you get drunk every day. Or maybe it's stealing a few dollars from petty cash, and the next thing you know, you're embezzling thousands of dollars. Or it takes you from a little bit of indulgence to where you're in credit card debt, crippling you. But Christmas is God's answer to that darkness. And that's really why we can celebrate this time of year. It's because God brought a light into the darkness of this world, and that light is his son, Jesus Christ. So when we study the Christmas story, we typically look at Luke chapter 2 because it provides more of a historical account of the birth of Jesus, and we're kind of drawn toward that. But 
I love the way that John actually presents the birth of Jesus and how he announces that the Christ child has come into the world. And to really understand his words, we need to acknowledge the darkness of the world we live in and understanding that John 1 announces the birth of Christ this way. He said, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. That's why we celebrate that into our dark world, a light broke through, and that light's name was Jesus Christ. Later on in John, in chapter 8, John said, Jesus talked to the people again, saying, I am the light of the world. The person who follows me will never live in darkness, but will have the light that gives life. That's what we're looking for. That's the light that Jesus brought into this world. Now, have you ever wondered where this whole tradition of putting Christmas lights on our house and, and, and on our Christmas trees actually came from? I assume that it came somewhere early on in our nation's history and a group of Canadian wives, they got together at some secret meeting and thought of ways to drive their husbands crazy. Now, I don't know if our wives are doing that at ladies' night out on Friday night. They don't serve meals anymore, so I don't hang around in the periphery to see if I might get some food. But, but someone at this meeting raised her hand and said, I know what we could do. Three or four times a year, we could make our husband rearrange all the furniture, and then when he finishes, tell him, uh, I actually like it the way it was. But, and the room applauded. That was a good idea. And then someone said, I know what we can do. We can randomly wake our husbands up in the middle of the night and tell him, I, I heard something, and then just go back to sleep and leave him there with his eyes wide open. And the room applauded once again. And all the wives loved that idea. And then another woman raised her hand and said, I've got it. I'm just thinking out loud here. But what if leading up to the Christmas holidays, we had our husbands get up on dangerous ladders and hang out over the edge and put lights all around our house? And everybody thought that that was a wonderful idea. And then another wife said, and I know what else we could do. We could make lights out of that material. It just gets all tangled up when it's stored the rest of the year and let our husbands deal with all of that. And then finally, one of them said, I've got the best idea of all. She said, what we need to do is make certain that when those strings of lights are made, when one light burns out, the whole thing doesn't work, and the room just erupted, and that's the one that they went with. And that's how the tradition of Christmas lights came about. It's not that accurate at all, actually, but here's how it did happen. You can trace the history of Christmas lights back to the medieval period, and before there was electricity, believers on Christmas would light a candle, and then they would put it somewhere prominent, which was most likely in a window. And that light was to represent the fact that Jesus is the reason for the season, that the light of the world has come. And that has evolved over the years to what we have today, where we hang lights on our house and we hang them around our, our Christmas tree. And I'm just wondering if a lot of the people out there who don't believe in God, but they're putting up Christmas lights, if they realize what they're actually symbolizing. But why don't you be intentional with your kids this Christmas? 
as you drive through neighborhoods and you're looking at all the lights on the houses and or maybe putting lights up on your own house or around your own tree. But just remind them, the reason you're doing all of this is that this is a reminder that Jesus came into a dark world and the light that gave light to all people came into our darkness. And some of you really need that this Christmas. If you're experiencing the darkness of despair in your own life, maybe because something has not gone as you had hoped, I think of our loss of Chuck Caswell, a longtime member of our church, and then Peter Boyer, who was a longtime leader of our church. I know there is despair that those families are experiencing, and we as a church as well, and we want the light of God to come into our lives. If you're experiencing the darkness of suffering, maybe some physical suffering that you're going through, or maybe it's someone else that you love, and you're praying that God's light, that his joy would come into their hearts right now. Maybe it's the darkness of anxiety. Would you just pray that God would allow his peace to break through in all of that? But maybe your darkness is the result of mistakes that you've made yourself this past year. And you've just made some decisions that you wish you had a do-over on. And you wonder, why did I do that? Why did I get involved in that? That's just not me. How did I get caught up in this? But I'm telling you that no matter how dark it is right now, the light of Jesus can still break through. And that's what we celebrate in Christmas that a light has come into the darkness. Now, one of Isaiah's first prophecies of Jesus is in Isaiah 9, the first verse. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to shine his light into the darkness. And John said that that light is what brings life. Do you remember studying the principle of photosynthesis in school? I don't know if it's still taught. There are things that we were taught in math that they go way beyond now. But it was the idea that the sun in the sky actually brings light here on earth. And without the sun, there would be no life. So because of the sun, plants and human beings are able to exist. The sun brings vitality to our red and white blood cells. And it strengthens our immune system. And it's been shown that the sun also has the power of bringing about a sense of well-being, that people who live in parts of the world that spend most of their year in darkness struggle more with depression, and there are higher rates of suicide. So it's just this idea that the sun brings life physically here on earth. Well, when that's true spiritually as well. God often designs it this way. So just as the sun brings life here on the earth physically, the Son of God brings life spiritually. He brings life to our souls. And without Jesus in your life, you don't have true life. That's why John put it this way in 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. So it's very simple. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You don't have that real life that we're talking about. And then John announces the birth of Jesus in this way. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So that word, the word of God, that is the Son of God, and he came, and he brought light into that darkness. But the darkness doesn't understand it. And, and you know this, it, it makes sense to you, because when you became a Christian, you tried to explain to the people that you loved the most all about the decision that you just made, and they just didn't understand it. And the harder you tried, the more they seemed to misunderstand. But then in John 1, 1, John says, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So the creator comes to the creation, and many people reject the creator. So when we, what we have is that oftentimes those in darkness, they just shun the light. There's nothing more frustrating than having someone you love and care about refuse the light in their lives. And some of you will experience this over Christmas. It may be you'll be getting together with a parent who just refuses to have a rational conversation about Jesus. Or maybe it will be a teenager in your house or maybe a college student that comes home for the break. And they just keep making one poor decision after another. And you just can't understand it. Or maybe it's a co-worker and he's ready to walk out on his wife and kids to make that big mistake. And you just want him to see the light, but he doesn't see it. Or maybe it's a neighbor who feels overwhelmed by the financial pressures he's facing. And he's just down all the time. And you want him to understand that that's not what life is all about. That's not real life. But they just don't get it. And we wonder, why? In the book, Into Thin Air, which was written by a man named John Krakauer, he tells about an expedition leader by the name of Andy Harris. And he would lead expeditions to the summit of Mount Everest. And one time, he was on a trip, and he spent too long at the summit, and he used up most of his oxygen. So as he just started back down the mountain, he realized he was in trouble. So he radioed down to the base camp, and he said, look, I, I, I'm not going to make it. But those down at base camp knew that there were canisters of oxygen up on the mountain, and they directed him to where they were. But he was getting so low on oxygen at this point, and he said, I found them, but they're empty. And the guys down at the base camp knew they weren't empty. They said, no, they're not. There's oxygen in them. And the guy said, no, they're empty. And then they said, have you tried them? No, I haven't tried them because I'm so certain that they're empty. And this went on and they could not convince him. And Mount Everest actually claimed another life as a result of that. So Krakauer tells about the frustration of those who were trying to help him. And what could give the man life was right there before him. He even had it in his hands, but he refused to take a breath of that oxygen because he didn't have enough oxygen. He couldn't see it 
because he didn't have it. And that's true spiritually as well. It's very difficult for those in darkness to see the light. It's right there. We can see it, but they can't see it. And we wonder why. It's because they don't have it. I've talked before about playing hockey for the University of Prince Edward Island. And when I first started, I was trying to witness to these guys, and I was pointing out their behavior. And I said, that's a sin. What's a sin? They had not grown up in any type of church at all. So I had to change my strategy and just talk about a relationship with Jesus. That was the key. And I was actually reading the Bible on our bus trips, going to other cities to, to play games. But when you don't have it, you, you don't understand it. And so the pressure is on us as a church to shine that light even more brightly so that those in the darkness will see it. But John says, many will shun the light. Some won't understand it. So we keep reading in the Gospel of John to get another reason why people reject the light. And the judgment is based on this fact. So this is the verdict. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. So many people, he says, reject the light for the simple fact that the darkness is fun. They like the darkness, and they don't want to do anything about it. Now, they might say, I don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but the truth is, they like the darkness. They may say, I don't believe that the Bible is God's word, but what they really mean is, they like living in the darkness. The darkness can be fun. And And we acknowledge the fact that there's a pull there. There's an appeal in that darkness, and it draws us. And it's not difficult for me to stand up here today and say, choose the light. It's easy for me to make that decision for other people. But oftentimes, we have this inner struggle with the darkness. Let's say I take my grandchildren to McDonald's and we order a Happy Meal. And and this is a, a different time era, but there's an option between French fries and a fruit cup. So I say, guys, you're going to have the fruit cup. That's much more healthy for you. So it's easy for me to decide that because I think that's the right thing for them to do. But fast forward to later in the week, and my wife Pat and I go out to another restaurant for dinner, and there is an option on the sides that you add to that meal. And I see French fries, and I see a garden salad. And I look back to the French fries, and all of a sudden there's some pull, there's some draw from those French fries, and that's what I order. They're calling out my name. So my... It's a very easy decision to make for someone else. Very clear the path that they should take. But when it's my struggle, my battle, my temptation, I can feel the darkness. So don't we all know that when it comes to our own struggles? It can be really tough. And John said, don't be surprised when people refuse the light because they like the dark. So there's this battle going on between light and darkness. And the darkness has the most power when the light refuses to shine upon it. The people who are in the dark and doing things in the darkness, they don't want the light shining on them. And that's why, as a church, sometimes when we shine the light, 
It's not appreciated. We'll be criticized for following God's word. But part of our role as children of the light is to shine the light in the darkness. And many people won't like that. But as Christians, that's our goal. That's our purpose, to shine the light of Christ. Listen to these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one actually lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father, that they may see the good things you do. So as Christians, as children of God, and they'll associate that with the Lord God. So the way we shine our light, Jesus says, is through good deeds. And when we shine brightly in this dark world, we will make a difference. So that can be through acts of compassion. It can be through service. It can be through love. And we'll make much more of a difference in people's lives through that than we will through doctrinal purity or through moral superiority. When we show love to people, the light shines through. Now, here's an easy question. Where is the light mostly needed? Well, in the dark. And some of us, when we come in here, we shine pretty brightly. But you know what? This is a pretty bright place already. And it's a lot harder to actually shine in the darkness. So what happens when we go to our schools or we go to our campuses or our jobs or our homes? And it's as if our light has a dimmer switch on it. And when we get into those situations, and we dim it down and down and down to the point where it's barely noticeable. So in your workplace and in your environment where it's a little darker, the challenge is to shine that light brightly. Brian Butts Hyde and I try to get together every week for discipleship. And we meet mostly at the Tim Hortons at the top of Larry Utech. And if we're there leading into lunchtime, students from Ecole Secondaire de Sommet, I practiced that so I would have it right, will walk over to have their lunch and have a coffee. So there was this group of guys, and they were being typical teenage high school boys. And then uh, Brian went to get another coffee, and one of them looked over at me, and he said, are you a teacher? And I said, no, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. And then he looked down, and he said, is that a Bible? And I said, yes, it is. And so he was very inquisitive about that. And it started a conversation with him. But then, and then one guy, he sticks out his chest, I attend youth group at the Rock Church. And I said to him, well, are you letting other people know about that? Is it making any difference in your life? He had his light dimmed down very low. He just saw an opportunity to sound good in front of the pastor and say, I attend a youth group. But at first I was thinking, there's too much activity there. Brian and I can't talk. But now I think, no, we're going back there each week to keep planting seeds with those kids. So the question is, what can you do to shine the light? Now, for some of you, it may be something really big that God is calling you to, but it can be even just a small light because in the darkness, 
A small bit of light makes a big difference. The question is, what can you do to shine the light? So I want to challenge you between now and Christmas. Would you think of some ways that you can shine the light? If you have children, get them involved with this and just think of 10 to 12 ways that you can shine the light of Jesus Christ this Christmas. Maybe it would be as simple as taking cookies to your next door neighbor or maybe it's preparing a meal for another neighbor that lives alone and you know that he or she has been sick for some time. Maybe it's an encouraging note in your child's lunchbox. Maybe you talk to a teacher and say, look, are there any kids in your class that need extra supplies or clothes this Christmas? And you just anonymously meet that need. Or or maybe you take coffee and donuts to work. Or or then uh, imagine if everyone in this room between now and the And Christmas intentionally shone a light in the darkness, there would be a big difference. And this is what we're called to do as Christians. And remember, this light isn't a self-generated light, but it's a light that comes from the light of the world. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, he comes to live in your heart, and he becomes that power source, and that light starts to shine through you. But some of you, I know, you're in darkness right now. And you feel the darkness because of some circumstances in your life. And maybe you feel the darkness because of your own decision or your own sin and mistakes. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ can shine through that darkness. And he can make this work for you. The very first words of God ever recorded in Scripture are in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, and so he spoke into complete darkness, and then look what he followed up with, and let there be light. So into your darkness, God wants to speak and say the same words today. He wants to say, let there be light. If you want to talk about what a relationship with Jesus is all about, then talk to me. Come to the front as we sing and begin the conversation there or talk to myself or James Stevenson, our other pastor, on the way out. If you have a decision to make, let us know.